0: Well, Merry Christmas again to all of you who are here and your families. I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here. Uh, we are going to take this uh, week as we walk towards Christmas uh, with uh, Christmas on Wednesday and we got Christmas Eve on Tuesday. Uh, we're going to deviate from our series in the Apostles' Creed and for today and then on Tuesday, we're going to focus on the message and the people and the events Of Christmas. And so what we're going to do today, as best as we can, is I want to identify a couple ditches that we as Christians can get rooted in, in Christmas. And and then I want to focus on the the right road, the right message, the right purpose of Christmas in the season. We're going to use Hebrews 12. If you want to turn your Bibles to Hebrews 12, we'll be there shortly. Um, But that's our course for today. Now, there have been... uh, scores of teachers and christians who who get all worked up um when it comes to christmas when they and their opinions see the attack on this idea the season of christmas from the world around us Uh, if you remember like uh just a few years ago there were a group of Christians, and maybe, I don't know if you were one of them, that got worked up over the the red cup from Starbucks. Uh, We saw this red cup, and we said, ah, this is so anti-Christmas. They have, it's just red. Look at it. And I was like, "What? what? They even, some, said, this is an attack on Christianity. And so we can get worked up. We have Uh, This phrase that we use, keep Christ in Christmas, not a bad phrase. We have this battle between Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. And certainly, look, the secular world, and when I say secular, those who don't believe in Jesus, the secular world has marginalized, consumerized, and materialized this special holiday to us Christians. But I always think this, should we not be surprised that the world would sort of push in here? Are we shocked when the world that doesn't love Jesus or doesn't love his scriptures or the essence of who he is would not really understand what this holiday is about? Why? Are we shocked? The reality is is we don't need the world to reflect Jesus to us. We need to reflect Jesus to the world. And so then, today, what has increasingly happened, if we have this attack over here, we've got another group of people who are speaking out against Christmas. There is a group of professing believers, a growing group of believers, that are condemning this practice of Christmas. And it's not because of the marketing, or the consumerism, or the materialism of Christmas, but rather it involves the origins of Christmas, the pagan origin of Christmas. Pagan meaning somebody or something that doesn't worship the Judeo-Christian God. And they are saying this holiday is beneath us. We shouldn't celebrate it as Christians. We should just ignore it. And so I just want to walk us to how we got to celebrating the birth of Christ here on December 25th. And so understand that this holiday is not something that the early church just made up. They didn't start fresh. Our early brothers and sisters lived in the Roman Empire under a Roman rule. And there was a festival called the Winter Festival that worshiped uh, the God of Saturn. It was called Saturnalia. This festival was. It came from this festival. Now, let me root this in this. There is no scripture that would call for our celebrating or festivals that concern ourselves with the birth of Jesus, nor in our scripture is there any indication that Jesus was born anywhere around December 25th. What has happened is in that winter festival, our brothers and sisters saw them worshiping, people coming together to celebrate this, and they said, I don't want to be a part of that. And so they began to reject, they don't want to participate in that, and said, we're going to celebrate the most important thing that has ever happened to the world. We're going to to celebrate Jesus. And that is where our structure of Christmas in December began. And now there are people that are saying that if you are celebrating this, you should be concerned because of its origins in the pagan religion. And really, here's what I want to I just want to speak to that. It's really unfortunate because it's short-sighted of the gospel. It does not see the gospel. To say that Christ is not about redeeming and restoring pagan or godless things is to forget the grace and the mercy and the love that God displayed for me while yet I was a sinner. To say that we can critique a day forgets that I myself was once an enemy of God wandering in my own way and my own wisdom. But God, as scripture says, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. The story of us, the story of God, is a story of redemption. It will end with God bringing all things back to him. Our whole mission in life is to be agents of reconciliation, that we would invade with Christ in our hearts and redeem our workspaces and our families and our lives. To think that God can't redeem a day is to forget the power of Christ. And so what would be more pleasing to God than his church worshiping and celebrating his birth? I mean, if we even consider Easter, Easter, again, is something that our brothers and sisters rejected and participated in their own celebration. It was for a God named Ishtar that they worshiped. Do we really think that our God would pour out his wrath on his people who were in that moment worshiping and adoring him? As Christians, our issue is not what day we celebrate Christ. It is that there should be more days that we celebrate and adore and love the forgiveness of grace of God. That is our battle. That is our issue. Paul himself writes in Colossians let no one pass judgment or question you in the area of food or drink, or regard to festival, or new moon, or Sabbath. What our priority as Christians should be is that we should commit ourselves to worship and adoration and beholding that we would keep our love for Jesus pure in this season. And I would just say that we need to be careful. We need to have some introspection in our desire to celebrate holidays and events in our world. We want to have measures of celebration and be excited about things, but there can be an issue or an evidence of brokenness in our life when we are increasingly looking for external events and holidays to celebrate and distract us from coming to know and feeling the void that is in our lives. It is not a surprise to me culturally that we've moved to holiday hopping, where we are just flowing from one holiday marketing season to the next. It is evidence to me of humanity's brokenness and our propensity to find things externally to distract us and keep us in denial of our need for something other than ourselves to change and fix our lives, namely Christ Jesus. And so we should commit ourselves to keeping our love for Jesus pure. We should pray that in this season, our heart would be conditioned to celebrate the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that we have through Christ daily. That daily we are reminding ourselves of God's forgiveness and grace. Daily we're reminding ourselves of His coming Daily, we're reminding ourselves of his love. Let there be no limit to that celebration. But in this season, in the mess of this world, in the mess of our lives, let us focus on the message of Christmas, not the pageantry, not the nostalgia. The message that we would not miss the hope and the reason. Because Jesus did not leave his splendor. He did not enter into creation as a baby so that you and I can have a nostalgic sense of peace in this time. He did not humiliate himself by becoming flesh and taking on this constraint in the fallen world so that you could feel special. Jesus did not just check into humanity to get a sense of what it was like to be a creation so he could give us some good morals. This wasn't a house call. He didn't come by just to say hi, it was necessary, it was required, because the world is hemorrhaging to death and sin and disobedience, doomed to destruction and out of options. And the only thing that proves to be sufficient in that emergency is for the God King himself to enter in humanity, to be born like you and I, to live a perfect, sinless life, to die and be raised again so that you and I can have fellowship with God again. That is the only thing that will be sufficient. His mission has always been to save us from ourselves from trusting ourselves over God, from trusting our wisdom over God. Grace through Christ affords us the opportunity to walk away from our own internal sin, our own uneasiness, our own brokenness, and walk towards the beauty and the love and the design of God, to walk in the boundaries that he set before us out of his joy and his love. Boundaries. That are for our flourishing, our thriving, and endurance in this fallen world. He has removed the punishment of sin so that we can, when we fall, by the grace of God, get back up and look to Jesus and have new mercies and new graces every day. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. If the word of God says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, it is something to note. And he writes, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And so with all due love, let us remove any hallucination that we have, that Jesus came to give you the right to live whatever way you wanted to live that Jesus came to give you the right to have whatever opinion you wanted to have. He came to save you from those very things. Our own track record in history shows that nobody deceives us or hurts us more than we do. Our history shows us that no one harms us or hurts us more than we do. From our relationships to what we love to how we love to what we eat to what we focus on, we are self-deceived. Humanity had to be rescued from itself. Loving themselves more than God, that is sin. And so Jesus comes to satisfy God's justice on sin, to redeem all of your gifts and talents, all that makes you special, that you may use it to show God's glory and love to the world around you, to live with Him, for Him, through Him, and by Him. And so God's intervention is necessary This incarnation is necessary. The God coming in flesh is necessary to give us an opportunity to fully live, to find true purpose, to find true hope and joy, to flourish as we endure life in this fallen world, that we would lay down what entangles us, lay down our sin by the means of grace through faith, that we would look at something other than ourselves. The author of Hebrews writes it this way. In verse 1 and 12, chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the author's intent here, the author of Hebrews' intent, is to connect us to the saints, the believers of the past, those of faith that have come before us who struggled and suffered for the name of God, that because of their witness, of their legacy, of how they ran, that we too would lay aside all that entangles us, that we would not surrender so quickly to sin and self, In light of what they did that we would keep running. But it's important to note that this author is not suggesting that there is a gathering of spiritual beings or spiritual ghosts. People from your past of faith who are watching over you and your actions from heaven. That is not the case. Heaven is not a place that we will go to look down on the people of this earth. And I understand that there's comfort in believing that. Friends, that would be torture. It would be torture, not heavenly. And it does not account for how much better and glorious that God is than this world, if we would want to see it. And this race that he's being talked about here in Hebrews, is, is, is this one that we're called to run with endurance, to lay aside every weight, to lay aside things that entangle us. It's symbolic of the Christian life. This is the Christian life. It's an intent. The intent in this analogy is not to remind you or make you believe that people are watching you so behave. But rather that you would do what they did. That you would look to Jesus. It says looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so what this is saying is that a race will be well run. We will find endurance to shed and lay aside. And it has nothing to do with a crowd or noise or being watched. It has everything to do with the object of our focus and our affection. This word looking that we read here in English is translated from a Greek word that means to look away from all else. It is tunnel vision. And what proves undeniable is that your willingness to endure, to keep running well, is based upon how much better or lovelier you believe the object of your focus is than yourself. I'll say it this way. If I was going to come to you in this room and I was going to ask you from one side of the aisleway to the next, to put your tongue on the ground and lick the concrete. For many of you in this room, the motivating factor would be how much will you pay me, right? Right? Because of love of money, there is an amount, a figure, that will make that worth it to you. And I say that to go here. For some of you, the author and the perfecter of our faith jesus god in flesh does not prove to be inspiring enough or categorically better or more lovely than your current situation or self on a scale between you and jesus it's probably pretty balanced if not weighted towards you and in that you have found yourself unwilling to move to lay aside, to throw away all that entangles you, all that God might have for you, because you are simply unwilling to do anything that isn't based upon your opinion in your best interest. You know, Paul David Triff, he's an author, he's a pastor. He wrote a devotion that I read during the Christmas season. And in that devotion, he said that one of the dark character qualities of sin that we don't often recognize as much as we should is unwillingness. We are often unwilling to do what God says if it doesn't make sense to us. We're often unwilling to be inconvenienced by somebody else and their needs. We're regularly unwilling to wait. We're often unwilling to be open and honest, unwilling to change our routines and our habits to accommodate others or often too unwilling to consider a loving rebuke from a friend. We struggle with being willing to say no to our own desires and our own thoughts, unwilling to even admit when we're wrong, even in the face of evidence. And the reason that we're so unwilling at times is that we love ourselves more than anything in this world. We are by nature self-preservers. We love our comfort, we love our ability, we love our opinions. And the only thing that will prove to change our unwillingness is that we hold a greater affection for something or someone more than us. And this Christmas holiday serves to remind us of just how much better and more worthy Jesus is. As an object of our affection than we are. And so I want to spend some time reminding us. And I'm going to use Hebrews 12 here. I'm going to start in verse 12. And I'm going to work backwards from the cross to the manger. It says in this grouping of verses in Hebrews that it was for the joy that was set before him that Christ endured the cross. That's a striking statement. For the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This text is saying that God, Jesus, willingly endured the cross and its shame, willingly endured the torture and the pain because of the joy that was set before him. What that means is that Jesus could look past this horrific event, look past his torture, look past his death, and say, there is a joy on the other side of this that will make it all worth it. He wasn't short-sighted in the present. He saw the joy of defeating sin and death. He saw the joy in bringing creation back to himself. He saw the joy in returning to his father Jesus was willing to delay personal fame and gain for long-term future glory, not just his, but ours. And he did it as no one else could ever do. Jesus looked past the excruciating torture because of the joy that was set before him. Now, you contrast that with you and I. I'm going to make some assumptions I know it's never good to make assumptions, but I'm going to make some assumptions that there's some similarities between you and me. Here's where and uh, what I know about my unwillingness when it's unchecked and unrecognized. And I think, I hope that I'm not the only one. There are times that I'll walk into my house and the kitchen will be a mess and the kids will have been crazy and there is this willing desire in me to want to clean the kitchen. But within a matter of seconds, I have convinced myself that I shouldn't, and my wife is selfish. What is that? It's sin. It's my condition. I'm only willing to do the things that I want to do. And I have to repent of that. And even if I do serve my family well, and I clean that kitchen and clean that house, nowhere would I write, ah, but for the joy that was set before me, I clean this kitchen. It was for the joy that was set before Christ that he endured the cross. But not only that, Tripp writes that Jesus was willing to leave the splendor of eternity to come into this broken and groaning world, willing to take on human flesh and endure an undignified death in a barn, willing to go through the dependency of childhood, willing to expose himself to all the hardships of life in this fallen world, willing to submit himself to his own law, willing to do the Father's will at every turn, willing to serve despite the fact that he deserved to be served. Willing to be misunderstood, willing to be mistreated, willing to endure and be rejected, to preach a message that would cost him personal harm, willing to suffer public mockery, willing to endure the physical pain of his father rejecting him, willing to die and then rise and ascend as our prophet, priest, and king. And he is willing, as the author of Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. Willing because it was his joy to bring his people back. Willing because it was a joy to be in fellowship with you. Willing out of his love. And so when we think about that, does that not make us want to reflect on ourselves And then to look at him with awe? How wide the chasm is there between God and me? How big the void between the joyful willingness of God and me? Friends, the story of Christmas is about a willing Savior born to rescue an unwilling people from themselves because there's no other way. A willing God coming to save unwilling sinners. That we could have life. And if it is true, and if you believe that, it should make us question everything there is about our life. The stark difference between the beauty and the willingness of God and my own heart should cause us to question everything. You know, as a pastor, there can be pressure every week to come out here with some sort of magical word poem. That's going to kick people up into belief and action. But honestly, if we can't gaze upon the willingness of Christ in comparison to our own unwillingness to contrast those two and not find that he is a worthy object to adore, it proves difficult to find words that could. You see, when the shepherds came and the the magi came to visit Jesus and bowed down right before him, they bowed down in worship and adoration because they knew that everything had changed. Everything in that moment has changed. So listen, your ability in this life to flourish and survive and endure in this chaotic world will always be connected to how much more you adore are Christ in you. And it is in the remembrance of Christmas that we ground ourselves in that over and over again. We need moments in our lives where we are reminded of how worthy and how willing God was and just how much we needed it. Let this Christmas be that and nothing else. Let this Christmas be nothing more or nothing less than reminding you of how willing and how loving and how beautiful God is towards unwilling sinners. That because of his birth, that we can celebrate that we are called sons and daughters. Through Christ in his humiliating incarnation, that was for the joy that was set before him. Let this season stir up, in us affection that we might endure him in ways that strengthens our resolve and our endurance to lay aside every weight and all that entangles us, that the focus of our race, Jesus, would be seen increasingly more beautiful and spectacular than he is right now. that in the light of his willingness, let us be humbled and worshipful. Not only that he was willing to come, not only that he's willing to die, but as the author of Hebrews says, that he sits on the throne of God at the right hand, willing to love you when you are unlovable, willing to forgive you again and again, willing to be faithful when you are unfaithful, willing to battle and supply, willing to empower you when you are weak, and willing to restore you when you fall. This is a season that we should come and adore him. With new vigor and hope, that in His willingness we would adore Him, that as an arrival, in His arrival we would adore Him, that in His love that we would adore Him, that in His supremacy that we would adore Him, that in His humility we would adore Him, we would adore Him more. Let this season be one of renewed affection and nothing else. Let us pray. Father, we praise you as a God who has done for us what we could not. A God that has gone to so great lengths, such a great length to bring us back. God, your willingness is unfathomable. Your humility towards us is unfathomable God in this season will you kick up adoration in our hearts would you press press into our prayer lives that we would pray to adore you more Jesus that we would pray that we would desire you and nothing else would you push us to pray that Lord the only thing that really matters in this world is you and so Jesus we thank you for this incarnation We thank you that you willingly came and humiliated yourself for us, your sometimes unwilling creation. We pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.